Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So Brad, your face reminds me of the funniest, well, most unfortunate story I heard about another guy who played I played hockey with. So when he was 16 and he was like a late round pick to Barry, um, he showed up at their camp with a cage on. <laughs> and I remember you wore a cage for the longest time and now you've moved to advisor. This is why the story, it reminds me <laughs> of, of you. And he's about to go out on the ice and one of the like overagers is like, if you wear that bird cage out there, I will beat the living hell out of you. And he's like, obviously a little scared 16 year old. So he's like, okay, I'll take it off. Puts a visor on, like goes through the whole practice. All of a sudden, out front of the net, a slap shot gets tipped, hits him right in the jaw, breaks his jaw. <laughs> That's what you remind me of right now. Well, I've had my, I've had the visor on for a couple of years now, but yeah, no, my my jaw isn't broken, but so I'll take that as a win. You can use two straws now. I can one use... for the gaping hole in your face and one for your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I could get twice as much liquid. I was coordinating with Sean Tierney, who we have an interview with this episode uh, later on, and uh, a message I sent to him was, hey, sorry, uh, one of the other hosts uh, had took a stick to the face, and now he has a hole in it. He was like, oh my god, is he okay? I was like, yeah, he's just a little bit uglier. It's a good thing we're in the business of podcasting. <laughs> and then I thought, oh no, these are on YouTube. Yeah. Show YouTube your, uh, your band-aid. It's, it's a band-aid right now. It's not anything. If you, I'm supposed to leave this on for 24 hours, they said. I don't know. If you cared about the show as much as you pretend to, you would not have put that band-aid on so you could show off the huge scar. Although I do think we might have been – we're not even monetized yet. But we would have been uh, demonetized in the future because that shows uh, some gore. Is it? No. If I posted the picture before I got the stitches in, that would be gore because yeah. there was a hole there. Yeah, you tweeted it out, right? Um, the picture of the stitches after I tweeted out. Uh, I think I replied to someone with the original picture because they because the they asked. Yeah, like cause, and that was after the game where we had a tension bandage on it for like forty five minutes at that point. Like after, so this happened about midway through the second period. So when we were in the room for second intermission, and I was looking in the mirror. Oh. That was bad. Like, so tell people what happened because we haven't even actually asked you what happened yet. So it was just – it was a nothing play. So uh, my, the other winger on my line just dumped it across the ice. So I went in on the chase and um, I didn't even really hit the guy. Like I just kind of like tried to rub him into the boards and take the puck. And uh, I guess he got really angry. So he turned around and tried cross-checking me and I just kind of shoved him away. And when he turned around, his stick just like swung like a helicopter. Intentionally? I don't think it was. Name? I don't think Where's it was intentional, but um, yeah, the cross check he he put on me first was intentional. But I don't think the stick to the face was intentional. But there was some force behind that, and you know how like you get hit with something, and when your adrenaline's high, you don't really feel anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it hit me, and I felt it hit me. I'm like, well, that's annoying, but whatever. <laughs> so I just kept playing. I probably played another 15, 20 seconds that shift, not even realizing I'm pouring blood like my jersey soaked you can see a trail on the ice i get to the bench and the trainer is like yeah you need to get that closed now and i'm like <laughs> what and i look down and like i'm like oh great this is when i realized i'm bleeding so he just put some gauze on it throw some tape over whatever finish the period go in the room and yeah it was uh not pretty it didn't slow down the amount of talking you're gonna be doing no no i'm gonna try and keep up here and if it gets too sore i'm just gonna walk out i I think we, Evan, we do a good job of giving Brad credit where credit is due. So luckily, we don't have to do that too much. 
But today I do have to commend you for showing up for us. It's going to be a purple heart effort. Today. Yeah, a talkie show with a hole in your mouth. As we were interviewing, we, we obviously pre-record most of our interviews. And as we were interviewing Sean, uh, Brad was speaking for the first time. And he went, so my question. Oh. <laughs> he just moving the hole in his face just caused that jolt of pain. So, it's a long intro, but welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm in pain. I'm Two Straw Crisco. <laughs> Two Straw Crisco is what they would have called you if this was like the 20s and you were a bandit with a hole in your face. That would have worked. I'd have been okay with that. Yeah. That's a good nickname. Um, <laughs> this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast is brought to you by the Bat Blue and the Bat Blue Light. Celebrate. I could drink two blue lights at once. <laughs> Celebrate with one the Bat Blue and one the Bat Blue Light at the same time with Brad and the Detroit Red Wings all season long. Uh, find your specially designed cases of the Bat Blue and the Bat Blue Light at your local retailer to hashtag Cellion with the Bat. Uh, Labatt Blue and Labatt Blue Light, a f- official Canadian beers of the Detroit Red Wings and of stupid Canadians who took <laughs> take their cages off and get high sticked in the face and well, put this, holes in them. Well, I, this is this league, it's like visor. Be like someone wearing a cage in the NHL. You just don't do it. It's not a good reason, but that's why. But I had the visor on long before this anyway. So Drink Labatt. <laughs> Drink Labatt. Oh, I, I forgot to tell you the most Canadian part of this story. Didn't miss a shift. Didn't miss a shift. Hashtag Celion, Brad. Actually, the thing I'm most upset about today is my pride because we got absolutely smacked. Well, because your team name is called the Milverton Four Wheel Drive. It's it is small town Canada through and through, it buddy. Is Walmart, Ontario. We are just straight up the Letterkenny Irish. Oh man, uh, I was I drove through a lot of Walmart, Ontario. We had a wedding this weekend. <laughs> Walmart, Ontario. It is just, it's just a place. It's, I was, I was driving on a highway, like just a, a minor highway, like in the back roads. Those yeah. are beautiful drives, though, in small oh, towns. Oh, they're great. Area. They're wonderful. And I was turning onto another highway where it intersected. So obviously, the turning lane is like, you know, half a mile long. Wait, there was a turning lane. Yeah, you weren't in small enough town, Ontario. No, no, no. I, this was getting near like Niagara. And, oh, uh, that doesn't count. It, it's like Niagara on the lake more. Oh, that counts oh, even that's less. Just rich white people. And I'm driving, and then there's these three kids walking against traffic in the like on the road, on the road, and they're just eyeing me. And in my I'm in my car. I'm like, they're are not you on the move. right side of the road? <laughs> <laughs> I had a second where I thought I was like, where am I British? Like, what's going on? And they're just like eyeballing me, and I'm like. I don't know, 100 meters away from them. I'm like, they're banking on the fact that I'm going to go around them. And I wasn't driving my car. I was driving Mel's. It was an SUV. And I was just like, these little shits. And of course I went around them. But I was just like, they run the roads here. Like, the, the it's just the Wild West out here. Those are, That was probably the mayor, actually. Okay. I'm going to... I, I don't like being a one-up man, but I actually have one from today. Amazing. So if you want to talk about driving small town Ontario, I literally got stuck behind a Mennonite traffic jam. Ugh. Seven horses and buggies just outside of St. Clemens, so I know Evan knows that area well. Oh, yeah. That's just the edge of the hotbed. That is Mennonite. the most area around where Letterkenny is based off statement I've ever heard in my yeah, life. There was seven, seven of these buggies. That's 14 ho- horses total that I got stuck behind for about a kilometer and a half. Oh, man. Just to get this done, Ryan. 
Oh, that was that was to get your that stitches. That was to get. Oh, no, that was today to, to the... get to the game. I should have just not went to the you game. You could have just went to one of their farms. They would have stitched you right up. Oh yeah. Uh, more credit to Brad. Brad did his stitches without freezing, so he can get back <sighs> home quicker. Yeah, was... I I got stitches in a finger once, and the amount of freezing they have to do because of so many nerve endings in your hand. Ugh. I was like. We spent more time freezing it than stitching it. I think I got like six stitches. Okay. And so, 15 needles. It was awful. So the, the stitches without freezing was not the worst part. That actually didn't hurt nearly as bad as I thought. It was it was just like getting a needle, which, by the way, the hospital being there, gave me my tetanus shot at the same time today. So yeah, you might as well. Might as well. Shot. I've already been got enough holes in my body today. But when uh, when you get a cut that goes through the lip, do you know how they test to see if it actually goes through the lip? They just put a finger in there? No, they take this <laughs> big giant syringe that shoots out water at the Blah. force of a fire hose, and they just stick it in there and just let loose, trying to see how much water pools up in the bottom part of your lip. <laughs> Do you want to know what pain is, Ryan? No, I'm a not A fire hose through your lip. I am not interested in that either. The science probably. needs to advance a little bit yeah. on that. Oh, my God. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to talk about how the uh, Red Wings West Coast trip went. Uh, we're going to get to our interview with Sean Tierney. We're going to chat a little bit about the rest of the league. And then, of course, we're going to have our overtime segment. Um, yeah, that West Coast trip was kind of like a punt, like a high stick to the mouth. The whole how did thing. we come out? Uh, o and three. Just straight 0-3, three, three regulation losses, all of them. Uh, lost by a combined score of 12-3. to three. We're usually good for an overtime or a shootout loss, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So this is particularly bad. I'll say this. The efforts got less bad, kind of. I think they had their best effort was po- like at certain points in the Calgary game. I think the Edmonton game, they actually did an impressive job. Yeah, McDavid had no points. That's a win in and of itself. I mean, he hit the post on an empty net. It's an empty net. That doesn't count. Um, Yeah, it it was an interesting time. I think our last episode was right before the Calgary game. Right when the rumors of the line blending was happening, and it happened. It happened that game. Jeff Blaschel, you know, he wants to tinker with some things and get some more offense. They scored three goals with those lines. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Mantha himself, while playing on the top line with Larkin and Bertuzzi, had more than that in one game. Here's my thing. Any any line that contributed anything consistently, like, I mean, certain games, like, expected goals or, like, you just, you're watching them, you're, like, you're generating chances, you're meshing. The only line that generated chances consistently during this blender period was Larkin, Mantha, Guy. Yeah, Larkin, Larkin, Mantha, and whoever it was. Helm, whether it was Glenn Denning up there, whether they put Bertuzzi back up, that was the only line that was consistently, consistently good. It was not good. And it's just... And and the Blaschel admittedly was kind of juggling in-game as he does too, but I think I figured out what drives me nuts about this whole scenario. With It's not the lines themselves. It's not any of that. Even though I disagree with them, it's... Jeff Blashill has no conviction in his decision making. No, I agree 100%. None. Zero. Yeah. He has absolutely no faith in anything he does, and it drives me nuts. And if you agree with all the systems, agree with the line blending, disagree, doesn't matter. You need a coach who, this is what I'm doing, and I'm rolling with it until beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am proven wrong. We hated every decision, Mike, not every decision, but we hated a lot of the decisions Mike Babcock made. He did not screw with them until he absolutely had to. He was sure of himself. And that, you can't go too far the other way, which is one thing a lot of Leaf fans are complaining about right now with him. 
but I would prefer that than this. Here's my thing is the conviction is important for two reasons. One, like it, just pick something and roll with it, right? Like see it through. We gave Evan the wheelie chair today. I Hell realized, yeah. <laughs> I realized I'd been sitting on it for months. I'm like, I don't care about this thing. I don't like, I'm fine. I see was, this was way too high. I was getting my a good slouch on. Yeah. You were, you were almost involved in the podcast. Yeah. Right? Forward. Starting to hurt already. No, like you, you should getting back to the point. You should be seeing things through. Yeah. It's a long season, and you can't put someone out there for four shifts and expect them to get any chemistry. But it's just the the constant like ADHD of moving this line to this line, this line to this line, this line to this line. Look, man, if you really believe that Glenn Denning, you know Hiroshi and freaking Jonathan Bernier at center is the line, give them more than half a period just because the other team is you know in the lead or took a lead or, or had a couple dominating shifts. It's like he panics. Yeah. I mean, I think he should be because yeah. the lines are bad. <laughs> but again, I that, I have a hard time pinning that too much on Jeff Blashill because as a lot of people have pointed out, there's only so much that you can do with these lines. And really, he's, if Yeah, he's trying to draw blood from a stone yeah. three quarters of the, the night. So God help him. Like, in his defense, the only thing he can do is make a usable top line and then just find someone to give Athens to the puck so the second line has a pulse. It's We're going to get back to Athens to later to remind me about yeah. that. It's just, at least with that top line, they were so good. And again, tanking aside, Jeff Blashill's job as a coach is to get wins. So I don't ever begrudge him for making a decision that's, air quotations, anti-tank. He needs to save his job. He needs some Ws. But that top line single-handedly dragged the Red Wings to every win they have this season. Like, how do you not? You know, you gotta see let that? you gotta let that line mature and let them go through their t- cold streaks and the tough streaks as a line. That's a great. You point. know, as soon as something bad happens or they go cold, and you, oh, we're gonna break them up. Like, what does that teach them? That, that doesn't teach them anything. That teaches them to play scared, and that's not a good tactic. I think that line, outside of injury or someone goes on an absolute heater in the bottom other two, three lines keep that line together let them roll let them go through some adversity and you know what at the next year and the years after i think it would pay some dividends and another point uh branching off what Evan said and that's a really good point is you consider tyler bertuzzi he's not the most talented guy in that line and definitely is being propped up by you know the high-end talent of larkin and mantha you run the risk of that guy losing his mojo, and I know that's hardly an analytical word to use, but you really do lo- run the risk of that guy you know, losing his game and having to constantly readjust. He was playing his best hockey with those guys, not because it was just some magic chemistry. It's because he was playing with great players and he was able to elevate his game. You remove the people who are able to kind of prop him up, be that foundation, all of a sudden his game is in shambles and he has to readjust on the fly, fly and then the next shift he's back out with them and it's like... Well, he was just playing grinding, like grinding hockey in, in a completely different style. It just doesn't always work out he's, where that player can just slot in and out and always be effective. Yeah, he certainly doesn't drive a line, but he's no shtick on the top line. Like, he provides another dynamic that that line needs. Yeah. And like, like we said, moving that line around and, and juggling guys around mid-game, it's, it's impossible. Oh, there's only a very small handful of people in the league who can play on different lines and drive those lines. Now, uh, I got a couple of messages, some DMS from people. Some of them were saying really nice things that they appreciate the amount of positivity that we're able to draw from this conversation. And there's something that we should say. Um, obviously there's no lack of criticism of a lot of different Red Wings that, you know, Jeff Blashill on this show, but 
we really want to make a point here that anytime we're criticizing Jeff Blashill, it's this isn't an end of the world thing. This isn't to the point where anyone's calling for him to be hired or fired because go back to what Evan said. You're trying to draw blood from a stone. I really, truly believe, and I think we're all of the same opinion, uh, like our subjective opinion is that there's no magic way to configure this team to be good. It's just not the talent's not there. It's going to be a long year, and we're going to go through a lot of losing streaks. Yeah. Jeff Blaschel has an unimaginably hard job right now. Yeah. And is he, he might be on the hot seat. No one's expecting him to get any wins out of this uh, lineup. Um, but I feel like whether he stays or goes will be determined from an internal analysis of it rather than looking at wins and losses. And if they don't see him as yeah. the coach going forward, then <clears throat> the method that, behind the man rather than. The yeah, results. exactly. I, the results don't really matter right now, but if he is doing all the right things and everyone can see that this roster isn't going to win a bunch of games. Um, that's all I need to know to be convinced one way or the other. Yeah. He's got to keep him competitive though. You can't have back-to-back five, one losses. That's the kind of stuff that can't happen this, this season. Cause those are the type of games that will break the confidence of the guys that we need to keep the confidence up on. So it's worth noting too, that yeah. the Edmonton game, likely could have been 5-1 if not for some excellent goaltending by Jonathan Bernier. My my early season predictions kind of as him as my kind of like overperforming is holding up like yeah. a few weeks in. So that's longer than I thought it would Can't have. Can't really say much bad about the goaltending. Well, no, they've been great. You ever, like if they're bad, it's like, yeah, <laughs> the look guys who, are exhausted. Look who they got in front of them. Yeah. But also when they're good, it's like that's really impressive because those are high quality scoring chances that Bernier was facing. Even the first goal against him was just like why did they have that? Re- I think it was off a rebound. Mm-hmm. It's like, why on earth were they able to retrieve that puck? Like that guy just had to face that shot and then had to go make a save on the other side of the yeah. net. It's like, oh boy. There was a great shot of uh, the Oilers' second goal that Ethan Bear scored from the point. It was the, the camera angle is perfect. It was directly behind the puck when that thing was going in the net. Bernier did not even sniff that puck no there was no way any human being could have seen that no uh some positives from these games uh mike green got a goal which i think was important for him he was terrible against calgary though oh yeah they like vancouver and calgary he was like he's what not team is it mike does mike green match up well against uh, uh my know. senior a team yeah <laughs> he's not having a good start to his season so i think for him to get that goal was really important i mean it was uh with an assist from former red wing riley shahan so uh good for him to make up for all those goals he didn't score that one season um i think that was good because his game isn't going to be well-rounded defensively it's not gonna be well-rounded with with possession it seems anymore so what he needs to do is just be able to find ways to contribute offensively when he can uh it's not going to be perfect but if he's able to do that that's his form of success this season so uh i i was happy when he had that and i think i think his game against edmonton was substantially better than uh his previous two not anything to to write home about but all relative we will take any and all progress this season see our leading goal scorer on defense with two green has two I think he has no, he's two. only got one. Uh, that was two? his first. That was his first. That was his first. Does Hronik have two? Uh, I believe Hronik only has one. Let me pull up those stats for you guys. Um, so he's tied for here. the team, the defensive <laughs> leading goals. Jumping. I believe the defensive team lead in points is Hronik with three. Don't quote me on that. I'll pull that up as well. Yeah, I feel like I think have any of the defensemen other than Hronik and Green scored. Uh, oh God, no. I don't think they have. No, I'll I'll pull oh, all that boy. up right now, but we'll we'll keep chatting a little bit. Um, 
yeah, the the Vancouver game we talked about, the Calgary game was just that was not good at all. That the Calgary was just just flat two out the, teams in different directions. You're gonna see a lot of that this season where Calgary was just flat out the better team, and it they took. Once they broke through, you watched them, and they just kind of ran the show from then on. I feel like we're not going to... Okay, Brad, no, you No, can... you go. You make the point, because I'm going to be changing this topic a little okay. bit. Okay. Um, I was going to say... What was I going to say? Um, I think we're going to see a lot of games like that, or very close ones where we win barely. I don't yeah. think we're going to be putting up 5-1 wins on, on a lot of teams this year. Some things need to go right for those wins. It's, that team has an off night. The Red Wings goaltending is average to average or better. And the right players get hot, not just Mantha the first scores line. four yeah. goals. Yeah, um, we need to talk about an incident from that Calgary game. The Mike Green giveaway, the Darren Helm swinging for the fences. Oh God, I forgot about that. Or we'll get back to the Red Wings defensive stats later. All right, the rundown for those of you who didn't know, and I'll give you this uh, chronologically in order of how what like uh, viewers saw things. Um, Darren Helm came into a play that was uh, just below the net and uh, Lindholm was for Calgary was standing in the slot facing the corner and Darren Helm came behind him and just two hand tomahawked the back of his knee. Bad spot to be slashed. Bad spot to be slashed. Lindholm went down. Um, there was a scuffle. Darren Helm got tossed and everyone's like, what the hell was that? Like <laughs> Darren- just snapped. Yeah. That's not Darren Helm. And then so- they showed a replay of like, them colliding along the boards and it was interference from Lindholm, but it still wasn't really enough. And then everyone's like, that's bad, Darren. And even I tweeted out initially and I, I went back and deleted this, not because I want to seem smarter. Um, I acknowledge when I delete tweets because it's just the way t- tweets persist is they'll show up like three days later and you'll just yeah. spreading misinformation. Um, then they showed another replay where uh, Darren Helm got elbowed in the face after the initial interference along the boards by Lindholm, like a bat. It was an elbow shoulder to or at the head um, hit him at least partially. And Helm went down. Uh, Helm's not a diver. The guy's been in the league too long and he very clearly connected with, with him and uh, it pissed him off and he went back and two handed him. And it was just like, that explains so much more because that was definitely a headshot, and that was targeted by Lindholm, and, and Helm went and just did something just as, like just as stupid. I'll say like, well, every player sucked here, and then the next day, someone else uh, replied to. I made a gif of the the elbow, and someone replied uh, with the first thing that kicked all of this off. So the hole just kept getting deeper, which was a face off where they were tied up and they were like jockeying for position, and it turned out where uh, Aaron, Darren Helm swung his leg behind him and slew footed him. He basically lifted his stick and then... Uh, Who got turned- slew-footed? Lindholm got slew-footed by Helm. Oh. So uh, in order of how things actually happened, the Helm slew-foot, Lindholm interference along the boards, Lindholm elbowing uh, Helm in the face, Helm two-hand to the back of the knee. Man, we need to get Drew Doughty on our team. No. And it's going to be a rivalry. Absolutely. That's... LA just if you don't do this you hate hockey. Exactly. You have to send Helm to... Or Drew... We'll, we'll send Helm your way. Yeah. Helm for That's Doughty. fair. Send uh, the NHL rumors or the Winged Wheel podcast <laughs> rumors Freedom account. Reserves. There you go. You can tweet that one out. Darren Helm for first. Darren Helm for Darren Helm for Drew Doughty. Yes, please. Yeah. The uh, I saw some people saying that it wasn't a slew foot. It was. I don't think Helm went into that situation anticipating that he was going to slew foot the guy, but that's just kind of what it turned into. Uh, Darren Helm ended up getting fined five thousand dollars. Big whoop. Yeah. I think that was right. I think you should find someone for doing that. I don't think it was worth his suspension, especially considering he got five minutes plus a game. The fine makes that perfect. 
Probably made it all back up on the flight card game. Yeah. Lindholm got not a penalty, not a fine, not a suspension. They didn't even review the damn play. He may have got a talking to. He probably got a a finger wag. Yeah. But then that's about the same as a fine. Yeah. For the league that wants to get rid of headshots, how do you not, how do you get away from this entire situation and not make an example of a guy who, who was performing an act of retribution on the ice? It was not a hockey play targeting a player's head. Someone with a history of concussions. Got to protect those calves, Ryan. Calves get way more priority than the head here, man. And I genuinely believe both players here sucked. They're both being idiots, and they both deserve punishment. And Helm got his. Fairly. That was, like, fair and square. They handled that correctly. And then they just ignored Lindholm. Why? Because he's the better player? Oh, Ryan. You've never heard of the Department of Player Safety, have you? Optics, Ryan, because... Innocent child. Because the the gif in the video of the Lindholm elbow was not circulating anywhere but Red Wings Twitter. The helm slash was circulating all of hockey Twitter. So a funny thing that happened was, uh, and Pete's been on the show before, but Pete Blackburn is um, one of the biggest um, people in basically hockey media. And he's really good at putting gifts out of important plays around the league. And he does it like across all games, which is really impressive. And uh, he tweeted out the gif of the helm slash, like just as it came out. This guy was working with what everyone had at the time, which was limited knowledge. I put out the tweet with the gif of uh, the elbow. Someone must have tagged it to him. The guy retweeted it almost instantly, recognizing that there was more to the play and he wanted to be transparent. So he retweeted it instantly. And he just took a, like, people were just like, mentioning him repeatedly like pete tell the whole story pete why don't you do this pete oh i scrolled pretty, through that, that pretty was, disappointing i'm like yeah. guys he retweeted it just give him a break he was working with the same amount of information that everyone else did um and, and that's the thing the, the replays were so clunky and how they came out no one really knew what was happening but no it it was just there's no excuse for the nhl not at least giving him a a fine that won't matter he makes the money where it does not going to matter, right? It's and more they, symbolic than anything. We have fined Elias Lindholm fifty dollars for being a bad boy. Martha Ford will will pay your fine, man. That's yeah. fine. Did, uh, did did any Lions players get fined for their comments about referees? No, but I heard people were going to start a GoFundMe for Matt Patricia, Patricia if he went off. I wish he would have. Anyways, back to hockey. No, the whole situation was messed up. It was stupid. It was classic Department of Player Safety just spinning the wheel and deciding. One play was actionable and the other one, which it like they must have a whole separate book just for headshots. And they're like, oh, no, we have nothing for this. A headshot, you say? No, I don't think there's even a call for that. Yeah, it's sad. It sucked. Um, It's disappointing from the NHL and it's just objectively the wrong decision. I had a lot of Calgary fans tweeting at me saying, oh, well, you know, Helm did the slew foot, too. I'm like, yeah, of course he did. That was bad. I'm happy he got fined. I'm happy he got five in the I'd elbow someone in the head, too, if I got slew-footed. Yeah. That's the biggest pet peeve. Oh, slew-foots are bad. Like, slew-foots are Those no are bad. just grimy. They are grimy as hell. You know what else is? Uh, a lot of things. Elbows to the head. Yeah. Grimer from Pokemon. I'd, I'd probably elbow someone in the head if I got slew-footed, though. Yeah. No, I, and that's, just, that's how that goes, and you give both guys a punishment. Yeah. That's just the way to do it. Um, really, I, br- I blame the refereeing for this. Yeah. That's the bottom line, really. A hundred percent. Getting back to the... I blame the schools. <laughs> Me too. I blame the kids. Uh, Red Wings defensive point leaders with four points, Danny DeKaiser. Out of boy, DJ Danny D, the redemption tour continues. That's a lot of words for someone with two holes in their mouth. Yes. Well, half of what I say, twice the amount of words. 
two flappers on this guy. We were we we had too much with that's too much math. You know what I'm most rattled about is that I I don't get an echo talking through this. I was kind of it's not how acoustics works, man. Man, just run with it. <laughs> uh, Hirona Kinchalowski tied with three, and then Green, Nemeth, and Bowie all with one point. Daly and Biega uh, with Zilch. Biega's Biega. Biega's guy. Biega's guy. I know he's so easy to love, and like I have, we have a lot of people. There's a lot of lovable guys on yeah. this team. <laughs> now he's easy to love too, and I, you know, <laughs> great guy. I still can't help uh, but think about him getting torched by who's it, Mikhaev against the Toronto game. Just absolutely burned. Yeah, on the I, and he had the inside track. It looked on the like puck. he. It looked like he was going in reverse. No, the the whole Western West Coast road trip was not pretty. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jeff Blash. He'll get back to a little bit more consistent line. Oh, there goes my phone. Uh, Just keep the top line together. That's all I want this season. The, you know what? Like even the the philosophical discussion here of should Blashill even try to shuffle the lines, even though we know there's not the talent there. I think, yeah, there is something to be said for that, and he should try it. But, yeah, just do it a little bit more. Well, if he does nothing, everyone's like, we're losing and doing nothing. And then he does. They're like, we're not, we're losing, but we're changing our lines. And I like the lines the way they are. He's he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Well, he just tried three games of them apart, and the team scored three goals. So uh, can we go back to what it was? It's going to keep changing. It's going to keep changing as injuries happen. Then juggle the bottom nine. Do whatever the hell you want with the bottom nine just for the love of everything that is hockey. Keep the top line together. Let them grow. Build chemistry. Like Evan said, battle through their own adversity. The rest of this team this year does not matter outside of like three guys. That top line is everything this year. Um. I want to talk about someone on the second line, Andreas Athanasiu. He's had a lot of breakaways that he hasn't scored on. Yeah, it, this looks similar to the last season where there's a nothing play. He burns everyone out the, on the outside, gets kind of an inside track to the net, slash has a chance to make some magic happen, but there just hasn't been that magic this year. Now, can you blame him for that? No, a lot of that is just you know him shooting above his shooting percentage, just getting a lot of lucky bounces. Um it's it's going to come for him. He's going to regress to the mean for sure with the amount of opportunities he's generating. It's hard, though. A player like Athanasiu, he can't really afford to have a really long, cold start to the season. Um, he's the kind of player where that can kind of affect the rest of his year. Is all of this his fault? No, absolutely. I think he's doing a lot of things right. He's not perfect. He's rusty. He missed uh, some hockey to start the season. But I think he's, he's doing a lot of the right things. Um, Was last year a ceiling year for him? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think we I think we mentioned that a few times in the summer. And that, that's, that's okay. what he is. That's his that's him. That's still great. That's a great second line winger who can slot in on the power play or even the first line if you ever need him there. You know, that's and he's a dynamic player too. He's not like he's got some things that he's elite at, which are his speed, namely. He might be the fastest player in the league off the puck. I, I know who Connor McDavid is and it genuinely might be Athens U. And if you want to fight about that, you can either tweet at us or tweet at Jeff Merrick. He'll say the same thing. Um he pairing him with Hiroshi's good. I think Hiroshi's a fine player. I think he's a smart player, but Hiroshi is not going to be generating the kind of offense that he needs. The solution is not to have Athanasiu at center, though he's viable. You can definitely put him there. I think people think we say Athanasiu is bad at center. No, which no. is not what we're saying. We're saying he's better on wing. His position for success is at the wing. Yeah. If the red, if you gave Steve Eisman the choice of either have Athanasiu get 
better at center over time or just find a great centerman for Athanasiu. If only we had an elite playmaking prospect in the pipeline. Absolutely. Philip Zadina. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No. Uh, And we got this question is, is, do you think Valeno is truly the the number two center? At this point, who else would it be? (laughs) You got to hope. Is he a true number two center? That remains to be seen. But is he going to be? Default. Default. Almost definitely. Homer Simpson's default. favorite type of winning, the default. Um, so Prashant Iyer tweeted this out, and I thought it was an interesting poll, and I think he just, he just did it to stir the pot. Um, do you think Athens EU should be traded this year? Depends on the return. I'll trade everybody and anybody in this organization for the right return. What does a return for Athens EU look like for you? Uh, not anything that anybody's going to offer. A one-for-one player at a position of need who you is also <laughs> young. Oh, you lost your <laughs> You're going soft there, Ryan. Um, no, again, I think the the not that he's worth this, but something like an Athanasiu for a Hampus Lindholm. Just find a young defenseman straight up. Obviously, Lindholm's a bit out of Athanasiu's league, but he's the first example that comes to my head, so I'm going to run with that. But I wouldn't trade Anthony Mantha for Rasmus Ristolainen, but maybe... Athanasiu might be worth that gamble. I'd say no, but I, I would could still say no. I would still say no, but I could see that being the train of thought here. That's the type of trade it would have to look like for me to pull the trigger because I don't want a package. They don't pan out again. Anything other than a top fifteen pick is not likely to yield a player of Athanasiu's capabilities. So, and he's young. It's not like we need to move him. No, he I think will be him plus the big three are almost. Un- will be our, let's say, untradeables unless something comes across that's you can't say no to. Yeah. Because I think, you know, looking at the draft from the past year, it's it seems like we're going to start seeing at least some defensemen hit. Um and we we still need to finish out our, our our second and third lines for some scoring. Um so getting rid of that then to see oh, what do we got for scoring after the first line yeah. at that point. We are we have absolutely right. nothing. If you're a team star for talent, generally you shouldn't trade away talent. That's just a, an easy rule. Yeah. Uh we're gonna transition here to our interview with uh Sean Tierney of Charting Hockey. Um some Sean, someone we've wanted to talk to for a long time, and as you'll see in the interview, is someone who's uh always happy and ready to talk about the great work he does. Uh so tune in and enjoy our interview with Sean from Charting Hockey. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Exciting interview with Sean Tierney, or as you might know him, Charting Hockey. Uh, Sean is the director of analytics for the Hamilton Bulldogs and obviously the publisher of an amazing suite of work through Charting Hockey. Sean, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. I'm excited to be here. So this is uh, uh, good timing, actually. Um, We've obviously been referencing your work forever, as most people in the hockey community are, but you... um, have put a ton of work into charting hockey and you are actually going to uh, formalize it into a concrete website sometime soon. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So I'm just um, hung up on one last sort of thing I want to solve before it goes live. So it should be either late this evening or uh, first thing Monday morning. I'll have it live. You can find it at uh, chartinghockey.ca. Nice and simple. And uh, it's just kind of a I needed a place where all the visit I create could be sort of organized a little bit better. The Tableau site isn't meant to be used in the way that I've been using it for the past couple of years. So it was time to make the jump. And hopefully people will find it there and find it you know, a little easier to access the, the charts and, and things that I make. 
So uh, talk to us a little bit about the, the, the visuals that you make, the charts. Um, obviously, you have a whole suite of what you do, but um, I, the, your use of the quadrants and being able to basically display the information to someone who basically might not have any idea of what, uh, what they're reading um, is, is super interesting. I think that's what makes it widely accessible to people. So talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I think I, I'm really glad if that's the way that it's come across in the, the few years that I've been hanging around doing this sort of thing. Um, I was really inspired when I first started hanging around hockey Twitter. I was really drawn to stats and visuals. My background is as a teacher. And so, you know, anytime you can provide that sort of visual with uh, colors, it, it can sometimes be the key, you know, for someone who isn't, um, isn't as comfortable or doesn't learn as easy when it's auditory only or when it's written word or spoken word, the visual can be a really nice way to sort of get a really quick sense of some context and get a, a quick sense of, you know, how your team is is performing. People like Micah Blake McCurdy were in the field when I showed up and Manny Perry and um, Dom Gallimini and some of those those pioneers that were there early doing great viz work. And um, I just sort of wanted to throw my hat in the ring and contribute the way they do, which is, um, we have a lot of great hockey data. Sometimes we wish we had more of the tracking data that should be coming. You know, there's exciting things on the horizon, but um, there's still a big gap, I think, between hockey fans that have loved hockey and maybe are, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old and have loved the game forever. Um, but this new way of understanding the game, there's a gap there. And I think there's a lot of work that can be done um, if you're willing to sort of uh, meet people where they're at with stats and say, I don't need you to believe in expected goals for percentage today, but what if I can show you a couple of charts that show you how your team is and maybe that aligns with what you're seeing and feeling and then bring people into the conversation sort of piece by piece and bridge that gap. And um, that's a role that really motivates me. And I think sometimes, you know, a colorful chart can be easier than, you know, 10 paragraphs on why somebody should believe something. So I spent a lot of my time there and I hope that that's the way people feel when they approach my charts and I've tried to keep that kind of a presence online as well, that if you're interested and you're unsure, you know, ask questions and there's always good people around to help point you in the right direction. Now, you mentioned uh, the NHL expanding the kind of data that they're tracking and then hopefully sometime in the future making more publicly available or at least ver- uh, available through different mediums. Um, how, uh, wh- what does that look like for you? Which kind of expansion in uh, the kind of data that they're tracking is more most exciting to you, I should ask? And uh, how do you perceive uh, what you do like growing? Is there a specific area or a specific kind of project or thing that you want to dive into, but you just don't have the actual numbers to work with yet? Yeah, I think there's maybe two answers to your question. It's a really super good question. Um, my big fear when I think about tracking data, the kind of thing that you know can almost keep you up at night if uh, you know doing the kind of work that um, you know hockey viz will do, is that when this data comes, it's sort of been described. I think the press release just last week said fire hose of data. And um, that, that doesn't excite me as much as it terrifies me to think of this sort of deluge of um, information that's going to come and maybe data that we're not sure what the value of it really is. We've seen things like player speed um, featured at you know all-star game broadcasts or that sort of data. And ultimately, I'm not sure that we're going to find that everything we all of a sudden get access to is going to be highly valuable or, or related to positive outcomes on the ice. So I think that first wave of work, once we do get access to this tracking data, is going to be parsing out which stuff actually matters to creating positive 
um, results on ice. And I think we'll find there's lots and lots of noise. And that's okay. And for broadcasts to have new things to work into their sort of analysis as they go is fine. But I think it'll really be important that we say a lot of what's here, we've already been able to cover with other sorts of data that we can get with shot locations and shot share and all that stuff. Um, and a lot of it is just, you know, it's interesting, but it's not important. And so for me, I think, um, you know, the second part of the question is what areas could be addressed that are important with this new data? I think goalie stats are a place where we still could use a lot more context to know how a goalie is performing. What's on a shot? We have no idea about that in the play-by-play data right now, but maybe this tracking data will let us know, you know, this goalie is routinely screened or never faces a screen, and that gives us some context. Uh, another area I think that'll be really interesting is Corey Schneider is, you know, famous for his incredible hand tracking of data that he makes available on Twitter. Uh, and he tracks passes, zone exits, zone entries. With this tracking data that we're supposed to get, um, are those some things that will be covered to free Corey up, you know, from the sort of intense labor <laughs> he's been doing the past few seasons? Um, can we get some of that data from there and then, you know, speed up the process and let great people like Corey hone in on some more important pieces? Um, so I'm excited for it, but I really do think it'll be a parsing of that fire hose. And it does kind of terrify me to think about it. So uh, on that point as well, obviously, there's going to be a ton more data coming, but there's already a ton of data out there. And obviously, with your charts and your work, you come at it from a lot of different angles. But I want to, I'm curious what your thought process is on which points of data and which stats you choose to research show and obviously utilize. Is there certain stats you believe in more than others, or do you just kind of throw everything out there and then kind of let the numbers filter themselves out? So when I first got started a few years ago, it was definitely that sort of the latter of throwing everything out there. And for me, I kind of did my my learning in public a little bit where I was throwing things out and then researching what mattered and reading all the articles that were coming out. And um, it really it was kind of a splatter approach. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a little bit horrifying to look back several years into my past and see the kind of viz I was putting out there, things that, you know, ultimately weren't super important, but were useful for me as a, a learning exercise, I suppose. Um, I think I feel more responsibility the more that my viz show up uh, sometimes on Twitter or in different articles to make sure that I'm not presenting things that don't matter um, just in case, you know, just publishing the viz gives the impression that it's important. So I try to be really clear in my titles and my subheadings, what it is that you're seeing in a viz. For some, it just says, you know, you're looking at the good, the bad, the fun and the dull. Um, for others, it will say this is descriptive or this is predictive. And I try to make sure that that's really clear when you're looking at a viz, what its purpose is. Things like expected goals, um, I boil a lot of the analysis I do down to that as the baseline, that idea of weighted shots and who's controlling the share of you know quality chances in a hockey game. I think that winds up being the most important maybe touchstone to drill down to all the time, and then you build out from there. Um, but I, I definitely do feel more and more responsible for making sure that I'm only tweeting out things that I would look at myself if I was answering a question about a team just so it's not confusing, because there is a lot of data out there um, that, that ultimately isn't super important. 
Um, and if you visualize a lot of it and don't explain that to people, you run the risk of just kind of contributing to the noise. And, and I don't want to do that. Uh, now, Sean, obviously the Detroit Red Wings are um, an easy team to to kind of dissect both through analytics and the eye test this season. Uh, but what I am kind of looking for is maybe a, an indicator or a metric that acts as kind of a litmus test for what we're calling silver linings for Detroit this season. Success isn't going to look like wins for this team very obviously, but um, what it's going to look like instead is progress from players like Larkin, Bertuzzi, Mantha, um, development from their back end with Cholosky and Hronik, that kind of thing. Are there certain uh, metrics, and you might have already touched on this with expected goals, that we can be paying attention to uh, to kind of shed some light and find those silver linings and what might be a bad drubbing from you know a Vancouver team? Yeah, sure. So I think um, yeah, anytime you get into the throes of a full-on rebuild, you're looking for, like you said, those those silver linings and um, what are the takeaways from what ultimately is going to be, you know, a non-playoff season? And so you, you touched on all the key names for me. I think you're looking for the Larkins and the Manthas of the world to play heavy minutes to get lots of opportunities. Um, as long as their ice time is high and they're being used in important roles, I think you kind of live with the mistakes that might come. Uh, Mantha's been on a real heater. I, I make shot maps and watching him generate a ton of individual expected goals has been exciting and he's just he looks like somebody who's maybe leveling up uh as he gains experience in the league so you want to see you know is this a player that can be kind of a premier goal scorer for a team um in the early on for detroit I mean, the stat lines aren't pretty and, and that's not a surprise to anyone listening to a red wings podcast but one number that does kind of jump out to me um just in the sort of small sample that we have is that the red wings are only allowing about 2.2 expected goals against per 60 minutes at five on five um and you know league-wide that rates as about average maybe a little bit above average i think you know given who the goaltending tandem is in detroit right now it's smart if you want to keep games close that you try to prevent expected goals because it's not a top tier tandem that you're looking at there um but also just as a team that's hoping to grow and is relying on young players if they're preventing expected goals against, I think that's a pretty encouraging sign for a young team that they seem to be figuring out maybe the defensive aspect of the game and not giving up just sort of red hot chances in front at all times. So, you know, we're looking at a super small sample right now. Is it something they can keep up over the course of 82 games? I don't know. But in the early on, it, it's a positive for them and it's results about a league average save percentage, which is above where I would have guessed they'd be. So, you know, it is a bit of a silver lining. It's kind of digging deep to find one, but it's something maybe to hang their hats on as the young players develop. Now, another uh, Red Wing specific question, and I only ask this because I know Micah does this exercise quite a bit, but do you ever go uh, retroactively into like, you know, some of the best teams of the, the generation? I know Micah does a, a lot of looks back into how effective Pavel Datsuk was, which is always just a blessing on our timeline when we see that. Um, have you ever done that and taken a look at, say, like the 0708 or 0809 Red Wings and found anything? It's okay if you haven't. It's just, you know, out of curiosity. It's funny. I don't I don't know what it is exactly. Well, I mean, I guess I know. But um, when you started the question, the name that popped into my mind was Datsuk, too. <laughs> and anytime you go back um, to do sort of like a, a war analysis and, you know, war is a contentious thing all on its own, but it, it's a real really great way especially over time to just kind of get a peg of how important a player was in a year sort of long forgotten and Datsuk's you know rates of war if he were able to bring those forward today if he was a current player we'd be talking about whether 
you know, Crosby or is the next best player after McDavid in the league, or is it Datsuk, or is Datsuk maybe the best? Like some of the results that he put up um, when he was kind of in that section of his career were just incredible. So um, it's not an interesting answer because you already touched on him, but it is Datsuk's the one that I come back to um, all the time with this. Anytime we can get that kind of that section of his career put into data, it, he was just an absolutely dominant force. And I suspect that if we were able to do a little bit more with defensemen, we would find something like that with Lidstrom too. But Datsuk's definitely the name that pops out to me. It's always just sort of mind-boggling to think how impactful he was in his heyday. So obviously uh, talking about Datsuk and elite players of his ilk, you analyze probably as much data as anybody on the face of the earth in the games of hockey. How many truly dominant players would you say are in the league at any given moment? Yeah, I think like that's a question that kind of comes down to your philosophy um, of it too. Uh, I think, you know, like we throw around words like generational and it just kind of becomes the buzzy word that you use for really good player. I think right now you can say that Connor McDavid is operating on a truly generational tier where his contribution on ice is just so game changing. And you see all those sort of on off stats, which uh, have their issues too. But um, McDavid, when he's on the ice, makes the Oilers look like a competent hockey club. And when he's off the ice, it looks like they're competing for 31st. And so, you know, he's, he's a single handed, uh, a one man team. And it's, it's he might be the only player in the league who really qualifies in that way. Crosby, you know, hangs around that, and he certainly was that a few years ago too. But it's all McDavid right now. So I guess that's a long way of saying. I think my answer is probably one. Um, John Gibson really stands out goaltending wise as kind of just operating on another plane, and he did that last year. And I see him as kind of the number one preeminent goalie, but he's not on, doesn't have the same distance between him and the next goalie as Connor McDavid. So for me, I think my answer is one. Um, it's a hard one to defend. It kind of comes down to philosophy, but I'm pretty comfortable with it. I think we'll look back at McDavid's career when, when he's done and say this was a player who was just better than everyone else that was concurrent with him. Now, I'm going to be completely transparent here. This one's going to be a total softball. Um, but the age-old debate whenever people talk about hockey analytics is, um, you know, how does this compare to the eye test, the traditional ways of operating, and uh, should we be chastising GMs who don't quite believe in it? Or, you know, they always say that there's a lot that goes into it. Um, what is your default or what's your go-to answer to someone who um, has a hard time buying into hockey analytics and utilization of this data because they're afraid that it's trying to replace everything that they know and love in the sport of hockey. And I love a good softball question too. <laughs> so um, I, I think, you know, the war is over. And so um, those battle lines that were kind of inevitable when analytics became popular, that battle was inevitable that people who used to understand a game one way are faced with people who are understanding it in a new way. And it's, it's just contentious. But I, I think, you know, anyone who patrols Twitter now, that fight is basically over. I think every team now feels the need to have analytics or to acknowledge it rather than to war against it the way they had. Even just, uh, you know, Stan Bowman had an interview the other day with The Athletic where he was talking about analytics. And he certainly did not want to name any of their analytics for their team. But he wanted to be associated as uh, with the idea of having that in the Blackhawks organization. And I think that's where the conversation has moved, that 
you you look much more silly if you don't have that as part of your repertoire than uh, than if you you do. Um, I think the the idea though still is that there's a lot of responsibility on the part of people coming with the new wave of understanding hockey to make sure that it remains a conversation instead of a fight too. I think um, you know sometimes people will come to a tweet that I have and come rather aggressively or it seems maybe aggressive. But usually if I answer the question as if it was asked in um, a positive tone, the next response is positive. And I think, you know, if you want people to listen to you in the first place, um, you just sort of have to be conversational and willing to say, I know that there was a hundred years of understanding hockey one way, I'm saying a new way. So I'm willing to kind of field a couple of questions instead of being combative. And that part, I think, has won out where, you know, the Eric Tulskis of the world are really good models or Alex Mandricki with the Seattle expansion team. These aren't people who went around looking for fights in public. Instead, they're just conversational people who are willing to, you know, make their point and be calm about it and understand that not everyone will agree. And um, I've tried to model myself in that same way. And I think that's really the way forward if analytics is going to keep this foothold as a key part of organizations is that you you know, you're, you're conversational and you're, you're willing to meet people where they are and just bring them forward at the pace that's comfortable. All right. So Ryan gave you the softball. So I'm going to give you a bit more of a nuanced question. And this mainly Excellent. has to do with your work with the Hamilton Bulldogs. Cause us as Red Wings fans, uh, we know what we're getting this season. So right from the first game of the season, we are all over prospects and the juniors <laughs> and to see who's coming up and coming through. And obviously in today's day and age, analytics have hit the junior ranks. They've hit Europe. So we've got some stats and and all that stuff to read over the young guys coming up. But I want to know, what are some of the challenges in analyzing junior players versus the NHL? That's a really great question. And, um, you know, put that way, it gives me some latitude to answer, too, because, you know, there's only so much I can say um, about that work. And so um, the challenges are huge because... And I think sometimes we take it for granted with the NHL, just how much we're able to get our hands on data-wise. We all want the tracking data that's kind of the the next thing that's coming. But there's so much out there to dig into at the NHL level still. And it just doesn't exist in that way um, in junior leagues and in European leagues. You're really scraping trying to find pieces that you can put together to get an understanding. And then you're, the things that you do scrape together, you're using that to analyze 16, 17, and 18-year-olds who are in a super developmental phase of their career, you know, much more than maybe um, any other phase that we get to see. And so the the challenges are huge. I think there's a lot of data collection that needs to be done just to make anything happen in the first place. And that's a challenge. And then, you know, you're doing a lot of work trying to say, can we use these NHL standards? Can we take things that we understand in the NHL and just bring them down to juniors? Does it work the same way? Is the age curve the same sort of thing at this level? Do the same stats repeat year over year? Um, And so you're kind of on one hand doing that research to figure out what matters and then presenting understandings right afterwards. So it's definitely challenging, but at the same time, that's what makes it really exciting. It's a little bit uncharted waters and that gives a lot of room to be creative and experiment and, you know, kind of make a big uh, dent if you're willing to put in the work for it. So um, the data tracking there, uh, it just makes me appreciate what we have at the NHL all the time, every day. I'm grateful for it. And I think, you know, eventually it'll come to the OHL too. And 
just expand our understanding even more, but not there yet. Uh, Sean, we really appreciate you taking the time um, to talk with us. This is a Sunday night, and so uh, when Sean was telling you about you know being conversational, conversational and radio to always uh, talk with anyone uh, about the kind of work that he does, he means it because he has. <laughs> I'm sure he has a lot of better things that he could be doing right now. So, Sean, thank you for coming to the show uh, and telling us about your work, uh, guys. ChartingHockey.ca should be live. Uh, maybe by the time you listen to this episode, if not, just sit there at your computer and refresh refresh the page furiously. Uh, in the meantime, I'm sure you already follow him, but at uh, Charting Hockey on Twitter, Sean does uh, amazing work that we constantly reference ourselves on the show when, we, when we're talking analytics. So, Sean, thank you again so much for coming on, and uh, we hope to have you back soon. It was a real pleasure, and thanks for having me on, guys. Welcome back. That was our interview with Sean Tierney. Uh, we were super thrilled to talk to him. Uh, excited to have him on again. Again, check out chartinghockey.ca whenever it goes live. He really does do a great job of uh, putting out some really smart, really uh, in-depth work, but makes it very readable. Whether you know nothing about analytics or you know a little bit but just haven't had a coffee in the morning, like it's always, always very easily digestible and you can draw sensible cl- conclusions from his work, which I think is often hard to do considering the complexity of the data that he's working with so spoiler the red wings are bad i have an aside yeah totally unrelated absolutely so today was the scotia bank uh, half marathon mm-hmm. one of the no high free ads one of, yeah screw them <laughs> um one of the top finishers wore a banana suit the entire half marathon one of the top finishers. Yes. Are we talking was, about- was in first for oh. a, a, a point of the race. He was dressed in a banana suit. How pissed would you be the person who's been training your whole life to be a, like a really good amateur ma- marathon runner? And you always see at the starting line, it's like all the diehards. They got all their sponsors and like their crazy watches and stuff. And there's this guy in a banana suit. Just comes cruising suit. up to the front. What, the, did he eat bananas during the race? No, but I hope they asked what his splits were. <laughs> the rest of the his competitors lacked potassium. Evans was better. I know. <laughs> it, I was it, hoping I'd get in there first. It would have been better for you if you did. I used to have a buddy who uh, did a charity marathon. Well, it was like a 5K. And him and a buddy went as a horse costume and did the whole 5K. <laughs> no, a like attached? Costume. Yes. One of them was the back legs and one of them was the front that's, in that's a horse costume incredible. and did that's the whole amazing. 5K. That's, yeah. that's a level of brotherhood that I can only hope to achieve. I can't even run 5K, let alone in a horse costume with another person. Uh, before the next episode, uh, the podcast Detroit's going to uh, host Vancouver and Detroit this time and then play in Ottawa. Uh, I presume we're going to... Hey, we could win that one. Yeah. <laughs> Any given Sunday, right? Is that how it goes? Are we recording on Thursday this week, presumably? Uh, I think with my schedule, it'll probably be Wednesday. Hey, when's your baby coming? Monday? Uh, a week Monday is the rough target right now. You're going to have another baby. Another one. Gross. I know. Another little Red Wings fan to share in our pain. How's uh, how's Crystal doing? Very pregnant. <laughs> she's probably just like, I'm done. Like, well, she get this is, out. She says that every day, actually. She's like, I cannot wait for this kid to be outside of you me. You know what? Good for her because she she was saying that a lot earlier in the pregnancy with Mika. When she had Mika, it was I felt like it was for months that she was saying Yeah, that. true. Yeah. Uh, with, with this one, it's been like uh, eight and a half months of it. Um, do you guys see Sonny Milano's goal? That was stupid. I didn't see it, and I don't know why I didn't. Okay, so here's the thing: those through the leg goals do not impress me anymore because, like, I see seven year olds doing it. He did that with two guys on his ass and brought the p- 
puck back into traffic while moving near top speed. That is an impressive between the legs goal. <laughs> yeah, that one was good. He, I'm pretty sure he had his court date for his bar fight that day. <laughs> <laughs> what a legend. He's like, hey, you guys want an excuse to keep me on the team? How about I just embarrass Dallas? Everyone's embarrassing Dallas. Yeah, we embarrass Dallas. No. They're like, what, 2-8-1 and one right now? They're, I think, among the worst in the NHL. Uh, oh. Let me go look at that. Oh, as we're talking about, you know, superlatives in the NHL, watching McDavid and Dreisaitl's, it's messed up. They're like a cheat code. Dreisaitl's contract now looks like a, a bargain. It, and everyone shook their head at that one. Three million dollars less than he should be making. We're all in agreement, though. The best contract in the NHL is Connor McDavid, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's Connor McDavid. It, and Sidney Crosby's is not bad. It, What's Ovechkin's? Ten? Nine something. Oh, my God. Well, look at McKinnon's making like six or something like that. Six and a half. Yeah. Which that's the new Tavares contract. Uh, yeah, Ottawa's one. Wonder five what his and bed one. sheets look like. Minnesota's two six and zero. Oh, Rangers two four. And, oh. Yikes! You want to talk about vanilla ice cream? Let's talk about Minnesota. Dallas Yikes. two seven and one. Ten games played, and they're twenty eighth in the league. Do you guys remember last year when the Red Wings put out? <laughs> it was like during a broadcast, and they had the the graphic up, and they're like, "And the Red Wings lead the league in games played." <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, wasn't I our three that. keys of the game shoot pass score? Yeah, they, for like oh, those a are funny. week and a half. That's amazing. They do this to be funny. And it, oh, didn't they have a really good one of those three keys to the game not that long ago? Yeah, it was, it was a sh- no hands to the face. No hands to the face. That was it. Yep. Yeah, I, that amazing. was the first thing that made me laugh with that whole ordeal. Uh, we should get over to uh, overtime which on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is sponsored by Motor City Garages. It's a family-owned and operated business uh, servicing Metro Detroit with plans to expand. Uh, They do garage flooring, cabinets, overhead racks, wall storage, and improving your defenseman's scoring, including car lifts. Uh, Enough of the messy garages everyone is sick of walking through. It's time to turn it into something useful. Whether you like to work on your car or if you'd like an organized space, we have you covered. 3D designs and lifetime warranty. Park in style. That's Motor City Garages. Always happy to work with the Metro Detroit company. I think that's something really cool. I'm happy that kind of came through. Uh, All right. We're going to get over to Patreon where uh, our Patreon supporters get their comments read out uh, during every overtime. We'll see if we have some time for some uh, other comments this week as well because this is a Sunday episode. It feels like a midweek, eh? No? What day is it? Uh, okay, we're going to start with Brian Toll or Brian Tolley. He says, hey, Dud Duds, glad to be patron number 210. Brian, thank you so much for joining the Dub Dub family. I grew up playing on the East Coast out of Maryland and have been a Wings fan since the days of Tim Shevelday and Dave Barr. Yes, I'm aging myself a little bit there. Life took me away from the game for a time, but I found myself missing something in life somewhere in my mid-20s, and a friend's child's birthday party got me to a rink and on the ice quickly found the thing I'd been missing in my life since I stepped away, started watching the Wings closely again and playing in a local men's beer league, and continued until I decided to move across the country and continent uh, at Alaska. Once in Valdez, Alaska, I found myself searching for hockey, but there's only an outdoor rink without boards. But we get out as a community every now and uh, then when the weather allows us to. It's an outdoor rink, and we got 30 feet of snow a year. Found the WWP at the beginning of last year and have been a fan since. It's hard to get hockey coverage on any team up here, so having you guys to listen to is absolutely awesome. That means a lot. Thank you, man. Your pod gets played at 11 uh, p.m. Uh, Alaskan time uh, on the date of release in the only open business in town after midnight, where I happen to be the night attendant. I have a couple Boston fans pissed. I play the Winged Wheel podcast before Chicklets. I get my wings fixed first. Hey, we came ahead of Chicklets. That's amazing. 
Although so it's gonna one be a, time we can say that. Uh, although it's going to be a long season, I keep reminding myself Stevie is back and Sider, Zadina, and Vileno are coming with a player to be named later, which is this year's pick. I dated myself earlier in my post, so I have no shame in saying I'm taking a trip to Vegas for my 40th and will be in town for the March 21st game with the Knights. Not sure if making it to the game at $200 for nosebleeds uh, when I'm the only hockey fan going in a group of 10. Can't ask non-hockey fans to spend that kind of cash. Think we're making that night a sportsbook night to at least watch the game and hopefully hit a better two on it. Would love to meet up with any listener to talk Wings hockey. Yeah, if you guys are in Vegas, uh, give Brian a shout out. All right, now to the question. Which five former or present hockey players would you take into a bar and just have a night? Only two Wings can be chosen and you must explain your reasons behind your choices. And go. Okay, so we can pick two Wings. We're basically picking a full lineup. Three forwards, two D and a goalie. Uh, He said five. Five? Okay, so no goalie. Picking then. Red Wings only? Two, only two Red Wings max. Oh, Five okay. hockey players. Okay, well, my, my two Red Wings are going to be Gordy and Stevie. That's... I can't not... I can't not pick those two. I got Gordy and I got Brendan Shanahan. I'll say Gordy and Darren McCarty. Darren McCarty. Uh, I thought you were going to say Helm. <laughs> no. Oh, what other players? Uh, I... Again, obvi- you got to take the obvious one. I want to talk hockey with Wayne Gretzky. So oh, I, oh, I'm going. I would go to the bar with Ryan Reeves because then I could shit talk literally everyone. I think. No, oh man, if we're if we're going for that one, like don't get me wrong, Revo's an animal, but man, if that we're fight g- was nuts, who's who's the all time enforcer though that you'd want to talk to? Uh, like if you were still with us, it'd be Proby. Yeah, that Max is that you're already at your Red Wings Max. I know. So that's hard. Who else would I want to bring and just hang Ty out? Ty Domi with? would be a blast. Uh, you can. Still, I don't know about that one. There's there's some uh, there's some things going on with him. Uh, who else? I don't know. Wayne. Like you got to pick Wayne. Uh, who who are some of the bigger personalities? I think Dominic also... Hasek, knowing that he's a weirdo from the Dominator, movie, would be a good yeah. one. But this, that counts as a red wing. No, Ovechkin Buffalo... going out with Ovechkin oh, be one of the Ovi. weirdest evenings. Has of your to be life. Ovi. Yeah, you're right. I can't believe we missed Ovi. Yeah. And depending on what you're into, maybe Kuznetsov. <laughs> yeah, Gucci sweatpants. Uh, he says Yager, uh, Probert, and Ty Domi, Marshand, and Stevie. Uh, keep doing a kick-ass job, guys. Thank you so much. Jeff Layman, which is also a new, brand-new patron. Jeff, thank you so much for pro- uh, supporting the Wingville Podcast. He says, hey, boys, new patron here. Been listening to you guys since just before the Zadina draft. I'm a Wings fan that lives in North Carolina, but started watching the Wings when I was in Florida. Didn't actually visit Detroit until I was 28, 20 years after becoming a fan. Here's my story. The year was 96, and hockey was three years old in Miami. By some miracles of the hockey gods, the Panthers made it to the playoffs. Miami was going crazy with hockey fever. Van Beesbrook was a wall. Hurricane of Rats would rain down on the ice after every goal, and my nine-year-old eyes went wide with excitement. Almost two months of excitement were quickly halted by a 4-0 sweep in the cup finals by the 95-96 Avalanche. Uh, we started watching the playoffs the next year, and we had the Colorado uh, Wings Conference Finals on when it interrupted into a brawl on May 22nd. was watching the team humiliate I was watching the team that humiliated my team get beat into the ice by the Red Wings Jokers with funny names like Konstantinov, Kozlov, Eisenman, Fedorov, etc. Team went on to win the cup. Wow. Seems like a team to get behind. Next year, hearing the limo accident and hearing of this team doing well again, I was hooked. They made it to the cup finals uh, and won again. 
I resolved that I would take a hit from humanity and support the winners. Seeing them win the second cup and bring Konstantinov onto the ice to hold the cup had 11-year-old Jeff in a puddle of tears. This was my team. Was able to see Joe Lucerina in 2015 and don't miss a single game they have here in Raleigh November 1st. Anyways, thanks for putting on the pod. You guys rock. P.S. As a reminder, Stevie Wise, the GM of the Detroit Red Wings. Jeff, thank you so much, man. And that was a really cool origin story. So 11 years old in 98, did he say there? 96. 96. Yeah. Oh, he's got two years on me. Uh, Jacob Lozen says, Aloha, dud duds. Another birthday has come and gone and another season of mediocrity for our beloved Red Wings, uh, which fortunately has not gone yet. Uh, Wifey bought me a Tyler Bertuzzi home jersey and I bought my daughter a Centennial Classic jersey for her birthday, which is conveniently located three days later. I don't know who's more excited, me or my daughter. She put it on and immediately checked the dog into the wall, constant seat enough style. Uh, the joys of raising a four-year-old and a 45-pound puppy. Moving on, my question is about Dar- the Darren McCarty episode when he talked about expanding the ice to Olympic-sized rinks. Well, golly gee, I think that's a swell idea. My only thought is owners being a bit ticked as they might lose, what, two rows of seats around the ice in order to expand it? That might lead to increased ticket sales to us Commonwealth peasants. Uh, I mean, I think he meant prices. What do you think? Sorry if this has already been discussed. Planning a Disney princess-themed birthday party has left me behind on a few episodes. My other thought is, what do you think of retiring Konstantinov's number in Detroit? Obviously, no wings wore it since. Uh, there's numbers that deserve retiring as well, but it might be classy to do it for the man. Grand Rapids meetup when Van Andel Arena can sell a bat blue again, of course. Uh, Olympic size ice. Uh, so, I, obviously, the owners would be pissed about losing a couple rows, but they'll always find a way to make more revenue, especially if it makes it a better product of game. They'll sell out more, so they'd be okay with that. Here's the thing. Olympic sized ice isn't better hockey. I agree. People assume big ice, more space, faster because a player can get the puck and just wheel with it. That's not what makes hockey fast. What makes hockey fast is speed of decision. When you have the puck and there's guys within 20 feet of you at all times, you have to do something fast. That's what makes hockey fast. That's when you get the hits. That's when you get the quick plays. I take the and there's not too many Connor McDavid's out there, so the extra ice won't be properly utilized by a good chunk of the league. Smaller ice equals faster, better hockey. Teams, will, bad teams will just trap and sit back and just eat up and wait, st- sit on the red line. Like, and look uh, at the bad teams in the Olympics when we play on Olympic size ice, like, especially against Canada. They park the bus and look at goalie save percentages in the KHL. <laughs> There are no high danger chances. Everything's from the outside because you can just clog the middle and then players are taking point shots from the moon. It's yeah. no, it's way better hockey on smaller ice. Uh, just your average Tej says, what's up? Dud duds took a poll with some hockey friends I have and the votes came in five to one of it being called offside instead of offside. Good. Cause it's objectively correct. Uh, it's objectively correct. Unless once the reviews are gone. The one who votes it being offsides is a Blackhawks fan uh, as well. So do with that what you will. Oh, bless their souls. They know not what they do. Uh, Question for this week is what's each of your guys' favorite piece of Wings memorabilia? Mine hasn't even come in yet. It's the Zetterberg jersey. I won at auction, signed and everything. Keep up the work and always remember to stay fresh cheese bags. So jerseys count? Yeah. Yeah, I got my answer. Your signed Gordie Howe jersey. Yep. I don't have anything as good as that. I've got a personalized Lidstrom signed jersey, too. That one's kind of cool. If jerseys count, I I love my Winter Classic, my uh, regular field Winter Classic that I'm eventually going to customize into a Lidstrom jersey, courtesy of Rowan. Thank you, Rowan. Um, I really desperately want that frame piece of Jello Serena glass. I'm heartbroken that I didn't get one. We're Get hanging. a vial of water. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hanging 
that uh, piece of Joe Glass in Little Man's Room. Didn't you get two seats? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got two seats from the Joe. That's my favorite piece. There you go. I ha- we, we still have to build the base for those. Probably smells like farts and oh, the, stale beer. The backs have to be essentially redone. There's like we open them up and there's mold. So. Oh, fun. Yeah, a lot of refinishing do. Mike Lennox, who I believe is a new patron. Yep. Mike, thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, says, new patron here. Been a Wings fan since pretty much birth uh, 91 when I went to my first Wings game. It was against the Leafs where Probert got into a fight. Paul uh, Saberset uh, scored a hat trick. Eisman scored on a penalty shot, and a fan jumped into the high glass and tried to fight the Leafs bench. Spoiler, the fan lost badly. My question is, who are potential college free agents that we will target? Oh, way too early in the season to know. Usually the crop yeah. doesn't rise uh, until a little bit later on. Um, that's honestly something I've not looked into, but that's a great question, Mike. We'll dig into that for a future episode. Uh, Joseph Fournier says, what's up with the recent uptick of Athens CU trade rumors? Why now? Yeah, because <laughs> he hasn't scored. Just Bo- a different day of the week, really. Bo- board fan base. <laughs> Find what? underperforming player equal trade search results. Burning hot tinfoil hat theory. He's been kept off the top line to keep his value low so his next contract isn't as expensive. It's just too damn good, right? Eh? Sounds like a hot take for the official winged wheel podcast. Unofficial. Don't say official. Podcast trade rumor account. Game time. Here's a list of players, a mix of prospects, and league regulars. Each of you has a yes or no answer of who you trade Athens to you one for one for. Oscar Clefbaum. No. Yes. No. Too inconsistent for my liking. Evan Bouchard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Leah Sanderson. No. 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 Keandre Miller. No. 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 Casey Middlestat. No. 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 Dylan Cousins. Mm-hmm. And we have to do this right now? One for one right now. I'll say no. Yes. I'll go yes. Because he could be anything. He could even be Andreas Athanasiu. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. On the off chance that Cousins does pan out as a center, I think that's worth the risk. Uh, Trevor Zegras. That's a, that's a set of dice I'm willing to throw. Yes. Yeah, yes for the same reason as Dylan Cousins. Cam Fowler. You know what? I'm going to say yes. How old is Cam Fowler? I was thinking about this earlier. Cam Fowler's been 25 for like seven years. I think he's like... 27 years old. 27. I gotta say yes to Cam Yeah, I gotta say yes. He's got a pretty decent contract too. Josh Morrissey. Oh, yes. 100% 100%. yes. Oh, yeah. Kyle Connor, yeah. Yeah, they're they're similar producers, but Connor's younger, so... Uh, Ty Smith? Ah, no. I'll go no on Ty Smith. Uh, no. Uh, Noah Dobson? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know just to take the just to take the chance? Um, Oliver Wallstrom, I'll say no. 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 Brock Nelson, I'll say no. No, definitely no, not. Def- no. Ty Delandria, I'll say no. No. He's not impressed me every time I've seen him play. Semi pro beer league prospect officer Brad Crisco, certainly not. Absolutely not. He's too injury prone. No chance. Stay fresh, cheese. Injury prone. Antonio finished the game, buddy. Did Antonio not. Antonio Gracias. I'm reading a question, Brad. Listen here, you little shit. <laughs> if you guys hear a small whistle, it's the air coming out of Brad's. It's hole true. In his face. Uh, he says, "Hey guys, a quick question for you all. Where do you think uh, are the best towns to be if you're cheering for the away team? Which are the worst? As a Wings fan in Chicago, it's not really a fun uh, to be seen rocking the winged wheel, regardless of time or place. But someone always has something to say." found that toronto and ottawa were, were really delightful uh vegas florida that's it 
I was just going to say Vegas has to be number one. Are we talking as Red Wings fans? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Uh, so go to any of the southern cities because Red Wings fans outnumber. So go to Nashville. Go to Arizona. Go to Florida. There's more Red Wings fans yeah. there than home Arizona fans. will be number three behind the state of Florida. Um, so happy for you guys really getting the chance to blow this podcast up and I can't wait to see what the future has in store for you three. Stay fresh. Thank you, Antonio. That means a lot, man. Joseph Craig says, went on shopping for a new stick for my four-year-old and the first stick he asked for was 250 bones. Yeah. Well, four-year-olds have $250 sticks, buddy. You have no idea. I, we, uh, man, there's people this have new, way too much money. There's this new $400 Bauer, the ADV Supreme that came out and parents oh are literally dropping God. 400 bucks on their like 12 year old kid. Holy Christ. It's insane. Uh, folks, I was one of those kids and I'm disgusted. Folks weren't kidding about prices for hockey. He ended up with a $60 tick stick taped heel to toe with minimal overlap and waxed. Seeing, Correct. Seeing termites crashed on ice felt a little bit like watching the wings last year, but onto the question. What kinds of drills in the house could I do with my boy to help him develop some fundamentals? You can throw pucks at him. Uh, as me- Like, just get him stick handling the puck yeah. as much as possible. Yeah, because if you're in the house, I'll assume limited space, not skating. Uh, throw targets in the net. And, like, if you just want cheap and easy, take whatever small to medium-sized objects you have in the house and just spread them across the floor. Tell them to make passes. Tell them to take shots. Tell them to stick handle in and out. Tell them to try new things. Don't just do the same thing over and over again. Just... It's the easiest way to get good without going out and actually spending hundreds <laughs> get good. of yeah. get good without spending hundreds of dollars on that like overpriced training equipment. And if you want something that's not like that completely though though that the the stick handling simulator, the on ground stick handling simulator is cool, but you don't need to do that. Like even get them you'll see uh, videos of little kids on those like wobbly bases to keep their balance and stick I, handling. As an adult, I just get hammered and try yeah. to stick yeah. handle. And if you have space, a net and like what Brad said, uh get one that where you can move around the targets, because that'll help them a lot too. Get them shooting stick handling as much as possible. Yeah, and then quick passing plays, like the one th- the way kids are now, they gotta do everything quick, so if you just want to get bored, stand beside the net, tell him to stand in the slot, ball goes out, ball goes back as fast as he can. It's simple stuff like that. Joseph, uh, sorry, K-Waz says, so I guess the wings have come crashing back to earth at orbital velocity, huh? What trends from this current slide pop out the most for you guys? Uh, lack of scoring. Defensive lapses, just boneheaded defensive lapses in my mind. We have no depth. Uh, also, can Penn State please not make this game a potential cardiac event for me? I mean, it was in certain ways. Oh, boy. Michigan sports. Chris Canal says, hello, gentlemen. I've been asking myself this question a lot recently and want to get your opinion. In your heart of hearts, do you think, not want, think, Joe Valena will be our second-line center going forward? I understand he's still only 19, but watching this team, it is so obvious that a good 2C is what we desperately lack. The Larkin line will only take us so far with literally zero production behind it. Thanks for the awesome content recently. Keep on, keep on, keep it on, boys. Okay, I'm going to take my heart of it, and I'm going to give the cop-out answer yes, because there's not another option coming through the system. Yeah, he has a wide window where you can yeah. come in and be the second-best yeah. center on this team. They're, they're going to make sure that that's what he is, and if it means keeping him in Grand Rapids longer, that's fine, because they're not... They're not even entertaining the notion of having him at wing. They're not interested in that. The only way he is not the projected second-line center for the next couple of years is if the Red Wings draft Quinton Byfield or decide to go nuts in free agency. Uh, Don Mitchell says, what's up, boys? Is there another player rivalry in recent history like Kachuk and Doughty? Are you all a fan of a rookie player taking shots at a veteran? Personally, I'm here for it. I miss a Brodeur, Avery, and Avery Phaneuf drama. 
Uh, he's, not a, he's not a rookie. He's nowhere no, near he's a rookie. Like three years in, right? Evander yeah. Kane and Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves. Yeah, I love the star-star rivalries. I think the league needs more of that. 100%. We're here, 100% we're here to be entertained. It. Yeah. And uh, any way it happens, I'm all for it. And uh, I'm sure there's some hockey purists who don't like it, but yes. I love it. It's the best. Uh, they drive the speed limit and go to bed at 8.30, you know? Yeah, who would do that? With all the focus on how bad LA and Ottawa were supposed to be, how freaking nuts is it seeing Minnesota and New Jersey being as bad as they are? Uh, yeah, Minnesota's. We yeah. saw Minnesota coming. New Jersey's rattled off a couple wins in a row, though, didn't they? Jack, Jack Hughes, Hughes scored. Jack Hughes scored his first goal against, against his brother. Against Quinn. Only goal of the game. Thanks for the great epi and sorry about the face, Brad. Uh, edit, I was going to say that last statement before the stitches. Cheers, Don. Rowan says, good day, dud duds. Well, if you think the Red Wings are having a rough week, spare a thought for our favorite Western Ontario Athletic Association senior hockey team, the Milverton Four-Wheel Drives. Oh, yeah. After starting out with a nice 8-4 win, they've been heckin' slammed the last two games by a 23-7 total. Yikes. It gets worse than that. Uh, the get Friday night game, we were tied going into the third period and gave up five unanswered. Um... When you get your when you get three stitches in your face from accidentally high sticking yourself on the bench, be sure to use Stay Fresh cheese bags to cover the wound and stave off infection. Stay Fresh cheese bags, a Fournier company, and guaranteed to stop gangrene. Rowan, I told you it wasn't on the bench. I tripped over my bag, leaving the dressing room, and fell on the stick. Brad, you must be proud of your stars after they notched another win yesterday and lead the league in games played. Say the wings are getting Key hammered stat. in a game and there are two minutes to go. Why wouldn't we pull a goalie and practice some actual live six on five so when we need to be hashtag good at it, we can be. Please don't raise goal differential. It doesn't matter this season any more than it may help discuss. It doesn't matter. Goal, goal differential doesn't matter at all. Uh, I'm all for it. Uh, the only problem in that scenario in terms of actual practice is I don't think the, op- the opponent would take it that seriously. They would just get it and fire it. For the empty net, they wouldn't. They wouldn't play true game situation. I agree. I think it would be fun. I mean, there's no good reason not to. Yeah. Uh, say or sorry. Semifinals are set for the Rugby World Cup: New Zealand versus England, South Africa versus Wales. Pick them. Do Do we nail that? I think we. I think I went four for four there, didn't I? I'll I'll go New Zealand versus South Africa in the final. Who's playing who again? I just know the four teams: New Zealand versus England and South Africa versus Wales. Uh, New Zealand versus Wales. Sure. All right. Smelling upset. Smelling upset, boys. Jersey time. Best Buffalo jerseys. Oh, man. Those current gold ones with the gold trim. Those are the best all time Buffalo jerseys. They're up there, man. They are good. Um, Uh, I don't know. I like uh, everything everything they did in the 90s, beginning to end. The the blue and yellows and then transitioning to the black, red, and grays. Those were good. Everything before that and after that has been bad. Royal blue and gold. Shh. Very, very close behind is the Angry Goat. The Angry Goat. The Angry Goat jersey that I love. Um, and we got a message uh, from Saucy Paws that says, What's up, Dud Duds? Is this how I get a comment read out on air? You're close, pal. Uh, anyhow, just signed up as a patron. Super pumped. Been listening for a while and finally decided, Firk it. Living in Chicago for most of my life, it's been a rough go these last few years, but my Wings fandom will never die, especially around these Blackhawk rinsers. Really don't have much to say at this point, but looking forward to the pod draft and hopefully catching a live meetup at some point. Doing in Chicago and I'm there. Also, Brad, on the last pod... I think he meant me here, Ryan. Uh, you mentioned Billy Rafool. Happen to know him as well. Great guy. Easily the most humble celeb in the biz and amazingly talented. He'll be in Chicago on the 26th, and I can't wait to see his show. Humble brag and no free publicity. All the best. Let's go, Red Wings. And did you know that Steve Eisenman is the GM of the Detroit Red Wings? Yeah, I forgot to ask you. When's Billy sending the check? Oh, 
Uh, I've been depositing them into Mika's account. Okay, perfect. Uh, all that from Austin. So we have time for a few questions. We'll take one from Reddit. Coltron57 says, with all this new recording and lighting equipment, you're all going to do a full episode in Halloween costume uh, closest to the holiday, right? Yeah, I'm dressed as Scarface right now. I'll do it. I'll dress up for Halloween. <laughs> I hate Halloween, but I'll do it for the podcast. I don't have a costume right now. No, me neither, and it's I terrifying. Am no, I am not spending money on a costume for Guys, episode. tweet at us about what we could be on this podcast. Don't say stupid things like good podcasters. Give me a real Halloween <laughs> costume because I can't think of anything. You know, that's all I'm going to say. We're going to get 100 replies that says you should dress up as a good podcast. Be real not fans. Not possible. No. Uh, that's... You just ruined we it. Know, we know, that. we already know all the jokes you guys are about to make. Uh, I think it's funny. <laughs> Give me real suggestions. I need help here. Hashtag ask WWP from Lauren says, if you could simply take out any of our middle six guys and replace them with anyone in the league, who would make up your new middle six to be both effective and also have the chemistry needed with our top line? Anyone. And seemingly effective for us. Do you have a heartbeat? David's, please. Yeah, you have a heartbeat. You're in. If you're asking about the kind of players you want, I mean, you want... A centerman. You want a centerman that can make. I take like a Sean Couturier if we're thinking of. Oh yeah, one of, of the best. Yeah, one of the hockey. <laughs> well, it's just, I mean, probably be our number one seed. Actually, we're talking best contract in hockey. It's probably Sean Couturier. If we're putting that. Yeah, he doesn't even make five million. That's yeah. horrifying. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I want skill players. I hate this bottom six grinding mentality. I want at least three legitimate scoring lines at any given point. So give me whoever meets that criteria that doesn't cost a ton. Uh, Xander asks, how soon should we... So, and Lauren, like, it's a great question, but it's just the fact that so many of them can come in and be good answers. It could be anybody, almost. Uh, Xander asks, how soon should we give Athens to you before getting concerned about his lack of offense? He did this last year, too, didn't he? Yeah. If we're getting into Christmas and he's still not putting up a lot, then yeah, we absolutely have cause Depending for he's playing with. If he's been riding Luke Lindenning's shotgun the whole time, then, you know, you gotta give him at least a little pass. Um... Wayne Squigger, and we answered this question quite a bit, but asked um, what prospects are currently slated for a non-first-round pick that you'd like to see us draft. I mean, I really like the hometown kid here in Kitchener, Donovan Sobrango. I think he's going to be a second- to fourth-round pick right now. Good puck mover guy. Uh, been hearing good things about this one. Uh, Laferriere in the USHL, he's starting to get some traction. It's Lafreniere, Brad? <laughs> we're getting him already, Ryan. I want to know who we're getting in the second round. We can get Lafreniere and Laferriere and put them on the same line. Um, Izarov says if you had to pick between Todd Bertuzzi and his prime versus Tyler Bertuzzi, that is Todd. Todd, yes, Todd when he was with the Canucks was one of the top players in the entire league. Ninety-two points or something. Yeah, he was the best power forward for a good few five years, probably. There was at least one full season, if not two, where Brendan Morrison, Marcus Naslin, and Todd Bertuzzi was the best line in hockey. Yeah, Todd Bertuzzi was unreal, and Brendan Morrison was the Tyler Bertuzzi of that line. So yeah. that um, would have been Todd made Todd Bertuzzi the Mantha. Darn Fox says, what do you think McIsaac's ceiling is and where would he play if he makes up here? Ceiling, uh, I'll say number three defenseman, left side, second unit, maybe second power play unit, but I don't see him leapfrogging Chalosky or Heronic for that. That's exactly it. I think his like, ceiling, if we're talking, if we're removing pie in the sky here, yeah, second pairing, good second pairing defenseman uh, who has good offensive contributions. But very sound defensively, yeah, that's his well game. Rounded. He's basically poor man's left-handed Moritz Sider. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sider McIsaac paired in the future. They would complement each other they so really, well. They really would, um, especially if you want to give Sider the opportunity to jump in on the rush a little bit more, and also the inverse. So 
There you go. We've got our top four set. Hronik Shalosky and uh, Cider McIsaac. You're welcome, everybody. Jeff Blashell, I just saved you a ton of time. Uh, we have time for one more here. Jo- uh, Gord FT says, hey, guys, loving the show so far this season. However, what I'm not loving right now is watching the Wings. Has a game become stale for anyone else except when Lark, Bert, and Mo are on the ice? For those of you not watching on YouTube, Brad is raising his hand. I that ha- was obvious... I think in the first like period yeah. of the season, you really have to focus on the little things to find joy because the Red Wings game, like it's people are, people are going to say it's complaining. No, it's not complaining. It's just the actual like it's the objective truth. If it, there's not a lot of talented players, the goal the game isn't going to be very pretty. And again, hey, we just had Sean on analytics. The Red Wings are a very low event team. They are bad and boring. Yeah. It is the worst possible combination. If you're going to be bad, be Edmonton bad, where everybody's getting chances. I mean, they're first place in the NHL right now, but or close to it. But like, I would much rather go down swinging. I get Blashill's coaching for his job, so I do not begrudge him for it. But it is just tedious, awful, boring hockey to watch right now. All right, before Brad's face starts bleeding again, we're going to wrap up this episode of it the Wingo Podcast. Stopped. Uh, we want to thank everyone who listens, all of our supporters, our name-level sponsors, Sky Carcass, Luke Johnson, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Matthew M. Rice, Ryan Lewis, Sean Levine, Matt McKay, Hannah Lee, Kalen Wood, Jacob Turner, Charlie Elkins, John Evans, Antonio Lupu, Ian Bush, Rob Thiel, Craig Kibble, Stan Olson, Ryan Lewis, Mike DiLoretto, and Simon Anderson. Thank you all so much. We love you. All of our patrons, all of our supporters, all of our listeners. If you guys want to support in other ways too, tell your friends about the show. Uh, We will see you guys in the middle of the week, and hopefully Brad's uh, face is closed up a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Brad, no more injuries between now and then. Maybe we're a cage. Nah. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.